The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome to the weekend, my friends. Getting close to Christmas, magical time of the year. Uh, may you be warm. May you have a roof over your head. Uh, certainly is a supply issue uh, continuing uh, for lack of housing across well, across the country well it's uh, an affordability issue too wolf right but, but supply is one thing price is another uh there is certainly a, a shortage of, of of houses without question uh, our next guest uh frequent guest on the show an expert uh in real estate uh, bar none mr brad lamb uh merry christmas to you brad welcome back to high fire radio thanks for having me uh the world has changed, and you know, I sent a note out to clients, yourself included, uh, and I said, "Mark my words, 2023 will be different. 2022 was a different year, a tidal change, uh, not predicted by even the central banks. I.e., I'm talking about interest rates, uh, very dear to your heart, uh, uh, <laughs> perhaps the bane of your existence right now. But uh, it, interest rates just rocketed higher, mortgage payments up what 50, 60 percent." Um, how has that affected uh, your business in the condo market? Well, I mean, so I have multiple different things that I do in real estate. And, and um, you know, we, we're a construction company. We're a real estate sales brokerage. We're a development company. Uh, we are an investment company. We're a, a property management company. So among some other things. So, we have various layers of income, so we're fine, and we can really last forever in this environment. But overall, I'd say it's not a good place for real estate developers to be. You know, if you're building uh, something, you, you've, you've just uh, doubled your interest costs. So if you're in the middle of a project um, and your interest cost was $6 million, well, the banks called you for another six because rates have doubled. Effectively gone from four and a half to roughly eight and a half percent for a construction loan. Ooh. And um, if you want to start a project, you're, uh, you know, the, the profits are, are, are fair in Toronto, so you can still move forward. But the, there's two issues at hand. One is rates are high, so your cost of borrowing is higher. That affects your pro forma. Banks aren't easily lending right now. They're very nervous. So in these environments, banks pull in and the money's not there. And the last thing is buyers aren't, aren't lining up. Um, you know, we, we, we were used to selling 300 units in a weekend. Um, I mean, that's, that's really, you know, this is probably the only place in the world that happens, but we're used to that. And we, and we function and we plan for that when we launch projects. But you can't do that now because there isn't that, that massive, uh, you know, it's not as, as spending money on anything right now is not, is not really in vogue. So there, well, there's going to be some real, real estate developers that have a hard time and maybe go out of business. There's going to be some real estate brokers that go out of business. There'll be some uh, architects and interior designers and furniture stores that go out of business. It's going to be... It's going to be tough because um, we're not going to snap our fingers and return to 10,000 resales a year. We're, we're running at 5,000 resales a year, or sorry, a month. We're not going to go from 5,000 sales on the resale market to 10,000 sales like we're used to 
overnight. It's going to take years to get back there. Is, are those uh, uh, provincial numbers or national numbers or Toronto no, numbers? Toronto. So oh, the Toronto. Toronto. So Toronto, we do about 110,000 uh, existing home sales. When I say we, I don't mean me personally. I mean the, the economy does that. And this year, uh, if you look at the last six months, we're on record to hit around 50, which would be, Half. if we did that for 12 months running, it'd be the worst year ever. Wow. I mean, ever, right? So uh, I think there was a year in, in 1990 where there's 27 or 23,000, which was a disaster. So this will be a bad year for real estate sales. Uh, it's, it's obvious why interest rates have gone up uh, 4%, right? Or, 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 or 300%, 4% or 300%, depending on how you look at uh, rates. Again, there were, what, a point and a half you could borrow money for, and now you're, you're well over 5%. Uh, Jack? Yeah, well, we talked, we kicked off the show talking about affordability. So, Brad, uh, you know, looking at uh, the affordability in the Toronto market right now, um, you know, there's no, there's a lack of sales, meaning that people are not transacting. Um, that tells me that the clearing price is not correct. So, uh, What's going to happen in terms of prices? They've already corrected partially, I would say. Uh, do they have to correct more so that you have the, the correct clearing uh, going on, meaning back to a normal real estate market where um, supply and demand is in balance? Well, you don't get that in, in recessions in real estate, right? So where we're at is what you normally see. If you go back and you look at other uh, slowdowns, whether they've been government-led like this one or, or uh, policy-led um, like this one, you know, in 2016, we had a similar meltdown for about six months. We had a meltdown in COVID. You're not going to see the volumes return to a normal level. They always fall to 40 to 60% of a normal level. So you're not going to get the clearing of houses in a recession anyways. That's just not going to happen. And the reason for that is that you, so for a buyer right now, Yes, they might be able to save 3 to 8%, depending on condominium prices haven't fallen at all, really, statistically, but they have a little bit. So a buyer will say, okay, maybe I can save 5% on the price versus uh, a winter spring of 2022. But, Mike, as you just said, my, uh, we'll my, my cost has gone up. Your costs have gone up. So, so buyers, the only buyers that benefit are buyers who are putting 50% down or more. Otherwise, you'd be a fool to buy with these interest rates unless you figured 5% was worth it um, to weather the storm with higher rates. And then in a year, you know, get an open mortgage in a year or a year and a half or two years, you might get a better, a better mortgage. And then a, a vendor is going, well, look, I'm in my house. I planned on moving to a better house, but I'm just not going to now. So the people that have to sell, and who are those people? Why do they have to sell? So, so there's going to be a limited number of people that must sell and a limited number of people that must buy. And those are the people that transact in these periods. And so nothing's going to change with that, right? That's, we're going to continue moving 5,000 homes, 4,000 homes a month until there's a break in this. And the thing everyone has to realize is it's going to end, right? Like everyone loves talking about the doom and gloom of this, but <clears throat> this is going to last a year, all in a year, right? So we're going to go from uh, June or May of 2022 to May of 2023, and then it's going to be over. Hmm. Interesting call there, Brad. If you're just tuning in, Hi-Fi Radio, show about money, 640 in Toronto each and every Saturday. Jack and I host the show. 
Smartest minds join us. Brad Lamb uh, is just a individual, obviously a uh, veteran in the world of real estate development, uh, real estate brokering, uh, and ancillary businesses. Very, very smart uh, entrepreneur. Uh, employs a lot of people. Uh, how many people in, in, in aggregate uh, work under your various umbrellas, Brad? Well, we have ninety-five uh, people that work in, in the company, but we, you know, we, we have. Uh, anywhere from three to six development sites at a time. So we're, we're employing well over a thousand people. Let me just say this about interest rates. So, so, um, you know, the, the economic engine takes a while to slow down Mm -hmm. and you can clearly see now the numbers, uh, you know, real estate's instantaneous stock markets instantaneous, but everything else takes a while. Like, Nobody wants to fire people in, in December mm-hmm. because it's mean, right? So you're going to see in January a change mm. in the outlook. And, and so the central bank uh, are, are, you know, are the uh, the purveyors of the interest rate policy here yep. have been clear that they're that they're going to be looking at pausing or or we're close to the end of this in Canada, right? And we've done more, like you know, we we were we. We've led the United States. Europe is nowhere near where we are with central rates, central bank rates. So they all have some room to go, right? So Correct. Now the to United the downside, yeah. Up, Europe's still a half a point, three-quarters of a point behind. So what's going to happen is there's going to be a pause. It's going to happen in January or February, March. And, mm-hmm. then, and then after the pause, the next thing is going to be a drop. And, and that's going to happen. And now you, you hear projections from late next year to as early as the summer. Uh, but, but my point is, is that, is that where we're at now is the apex of pain. Yep. And going forward, it's going to get better. And people need to understand that it's going to get better. Yes, there's going to be layoffs and so on. That's all necessary, but it's only going to be for a short term. Like we've laid off a few people that are unnecessary, but as soon as we're back, we'll be hiring them all and more. And, and that's just that's just so it's not a you know, people shouldn't think that this is a a long term scenario. It's not going to be a long term scenario. These you can go back. You, you've been working for 40 years. You know how long these things last. They last for 12 months, to 18 months, and then they're over. And everyone always is so full of doom and gloom while they're in the middle of them. But you just have to see the forest for the trees. This is going to end. And from the standpoint of our marketplaces, we are 250,000 houses shy of a balanced market. Up for supply in the in in, in the uh, in the GTA. That my opening point was just that the supply shortage continues, uh, price correction, interest rate uh, change, but there still is a shortage of homes, uh, and guys like you build those things, uh, and that's not an easy business. Um, we're going to take a quick break, get back with Brad Lamb. We're talking real estate, a key cornerstone asset. Uh, obviously, a year of flux. Uh, if you're engaged in real estate, you want to stay tuned. We're going to learn a whole lot with Brad Lamb right after this. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Cause no matter how far away you roam. 
when you pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze for the holidays Welcome back. you can't Got your staff home. Christmas party coming up. Give HR a break and be good. Oh, I feel sorry for HR departments this time of year, eh, Jack? <laughs> the stories. The stories. I don't care. I worked in broadcasting. Post every Christmas party, HR was busy. I work on Bay Street. Post H, uh, both Christmas parties, HR becomes busy. Don't do it to them. They're your friends. Keep them on. Brad, you know what I'm talking about. You have Christmas parties. I'm sure your HR department gets a few calls the following day, correct? Oh, yeah. We're having our party tonight, actually. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, you know, it is the time of the year, uh, but uh, home is everything. Uh, it truly, truly is, especially if you have a family. And uh, accommodation, accommodating people is difficult uh, in these busy cities of ours, uh, notably uh, Toronto. Uh, rents continue to be very, very expensive and tight. Jack, what were your numbers on rents recently? And then bounce those off, Brad, to get his uh, uh, forecast for rents going forward. But you have some numbers Right, and it's a big number in inflation, right? You talk about the cost of living. So um, across Canada, I think rent was up uh, 12%. In Toronto, within the, the Toronto um, region, I guess, it was 24%. Year over year? Yeah. 24%? 24% was the number I heard today. And, and, so the, and, what's the and then the one bedroom is 2,500, and wow. two bedrooms is 34, 3,400, oh which is, God. it's challenging, right? Absolutely. So it's, it's eating up a lot of... Um, if it's not disposable income, it's taking away your disposable income for sure. So uh, r- rental units, Brad, uh, any uh, relief in sight? Again, you don't build these things overnight. Uh, but in terms of the planning department, in terms of builders being willing to develop rental properties, I think there's a bit of a disconnect still. Talk to us. Yeah, well, so so the, the number that Jack just mentioned, so it, it's true, but, but if you look at pre-COVID from you know, December 2019 to now, there's a 4% increase in rent, right? Okay. So like rents, rents were demolished by 25% in COVID and now they've gone, they've, they've, they've fully corrected for COVID and now they're, now they're rising the way they should rise because here's, here's the answer. Sorry, sorry, Brad, uh, COVID knocked rents down? Yeah, by 25%. Oh, I thought people were staying home. Well, people fled the cities for their so uh-huh. what demolishes rents are tenants, right? They're and they're not the higher end of the marketplace. They're the, the generally younger people with with jobs that don't pay so well. They went back home and they moved to the country. So we had huge problems. Like right now, there's 1,600 units for rent on MLS in the core downtown, yep. which is not enough. In the peak of COVID, there was 80, 84 or 8,600. Wow. So. Uh, yeah, it was a problem. But listen, to answer your question. It is. It's never been, and it is impossible to make a living as a as a uh, as a company that builds uh, apartment buildings. The only people that are buying apartment buildings and building them or funding them are pension funds who are just looking for the low end of their yield. Right? They. It's like almost putting the money in the bank. They're they're looking for or in a in a in a bond or a or a, a GIC they're they're getting three three and a half percent cap rates. No one in the development business is interested in a cap rate of three and a half percent. You can't make any money. You, you you need to have so much equity in a in a deal. It's not worth it. So developers are building a, are building condo buildings. They're never going to build apartment buildings. You're never going to see that fixed. It's impossible. 
The only way to see it fixed is public money being squandered to, uh, to you know, yeah. um, justify their political uh, agenda, right? So the government's going to spend a dollar to get 50 cents of rentals. So we sell a condo building in Toronto for 1600 a foot. Wow. An apartment building will transact in Toronto for 900, 900, 900 wow. a foot. Mm-hmm. So why would a developer give up $700 a foot to build an apartment bill? It's not going to happen, and it doesn't happen. And part of the problem is at 900 a foot, you're losing $200 a foot. So there's no economic model to build any scalable apartment building in the GTA. And anyone who's doing it is doing it on legacy land they got for no money, mm-hmm. you know, 50 years ago. Or it's being it's or it's a policy of of maybe Omer's or 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 one of these pension funds have a policy uh, like a political policy where they need to contribute to that. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's called ESG, Brad, yeah. environmental social governance. Uh, but and you're oh, right, uh, uh, often pension funds will look at real estate obviously as a very stable asset, very predictable asset. And Jack and I often speak about those types of assets being what's called bond surrogates. They trade like bonds. Uh, When interest rates go up, they actually do fall in price. And Canadian apartment REIT, symbols CAR, uh, that was a $60 stock trading 40. And guess what, Brad? The yield on it is about 4%, exactly what you're saying. And uh, REITs pay out the bulk of their cash flow as distribution. So uh, the yield is basically the return as well of the overall entity. And it's about 4%. It's not a terribly viable, uh, enticing. And you can't take any more leverage to it. That's fully levered up at about 50%. So I, I do see your point. That's why Jack and I have often stayed away from these things. The cap rates were just too low. Sorry, Jack. Yeah, Brad, what, what do you make of the, the strong mayor powers that are just being recently introduced? So maybe to help you out with zoning, cut the red tape. Uh, there was just an article talking about development fees being over, I think, $50,000 for you know a single condo unit that I would assume is passed on to the end user. So um, I know it was recently introduced. Looks like it's going to be passed. What, what do you think of the strong mayor powers? Um, you know, I don't think they're going to do anything. I, I think that... Um, so... I looked at, at what the strong mayor powers provide, and it, it's just words, right? So, and council passed it, and again, they're just words. I'm currently working on 12 large-scale developments in central Toronto, and every one of them is a nonsensical fight over scraps of density. If they really cared about creating more housing, they would give on their policies that they're, they're just stuck in the mud about. Like, they they will not veer off six floors on Queen Street East. Six floors of of, of height on Queen Street East. Why can you only build a six-story building on Queen Street East? Queen Street is a massive, Queen Street period is a massive street. And you can only go as high as six floors. If they allowed eight floors, and the squawking people that live next, like, if you buy a house one in from Queen Street East, you've got to expect to have some influence from Queen Street East or Dundas or College or any of those main streets, right? To force people to build six floors and not eight floors, that's 25% more density across a massive amount of real estate. It could, that alone could add thousands and thousands of new units, and the city won't budge. They won't budge. So they say they're going to do this, and the, but it's all BS. Adding uh, uh, lane houses, you know, one or two extra uh, apartments on a street in behind the house is, is useless. It's like... It's hundreds of houses. 
we have a hundred of hundreds of thousands of house problems, hundreds of thousands of house problems. Well, it's it's not it's not fixable. It's just not fixable in the city. We are doomed to the same uh, future that New York City has been doomed to, which is <laughs> we're going to be at for the average rental in Toronto will be fifty five hundred dollars a month before you know it. <laughs> Before you know it. And, and, and by the way, you can thank the municipal governments for that. You can thank the councillors and the planning departments that have squeezed the real estate development industry to build less than they should be building. And once it's built, it's there forever. Once we build a 40-story building instead of a 60-story building, it's there forever. It's never coming down. So you can't add to it later. So they've made the mistakes over the last 30 years fighting us tooth and nail, and it's too late now. The city is pooched. For housing it's not going to be fixed it's just going to be a spiral upwards and that's the future so so do you have the same opinion i guess across ontario as well brad because i know that over the next 10 years ontario government set an ambitious and i'm, I'm not sure if it's achievable but very ambitious plan of i think a, a million and a half units we all agree there's a supply shortage uh are they going to achieve this or are we gonna, they're going to get cut in the same uh, red tape as the uh you know uh, city of toronto no, they're not going to achieve it. And here's why they're not going to achieve it. Because in, in the 905, we can build thirty or 35,000 homes, whether they're low-rise or high-rise. That's all the number of trades that we have to draw from before the trades are useless and can't really do anything. So we don't have the people in the industries of forming concrete and, and brick. There's no bricklaying anymore. You can't even get people to do that. Or it's such a small industry now. Plumbers, electricians, pipe fitters, all of these people are in massive demand, and the government's not doing enough to get people into those trades and training them. They should be paying for that education. It's not a lot of money to get someone to be a plumber or an electrician. It's a few thousand. It might cost $8,000 or $10,000 in the end to, get a, to create a, a, a very effective electrician over a period of eight years or whatever the apprenticeship period is for a, an electrician. And we need to have thousands and thousands of those people. You can, you can mandate all the green lighting you want, but if you can't build it, you don't have the people to build it. It's a waste of time. So one thing we had was a zoning issue where we were being skimped on the amount of new housing we could build in the city. And that's a permanent problem we can't go back and fix. We can only go forward. But we also have a problem with the trades. We can't build. I'm trying to expand my company from three development sites under construction at a time to 12 over the next four years. And my biggest problem is getting our trades who follow us from site to site to expand to that level with competent people. It's very, very difficult. So it's not a simple problem to solve. There's many layers to it, but I'll tell you this, we're going to fail in that endeavor and real estate prices will continue to rise. Well, again, keep the market tight and you don't get as much of a price correction. Let me ask you, Brad, you said condo prices have not really fallen in the Toronto marketplace. Can you give us some pricing uh, of the, because the market is so opaque. uh, And often when I see stuff published on real estate, it's always talking about units sold, not really about true prices. It's almost as though they want to hide the pricing from us. Uh, But I believe the average home in Toronto is down about 20%. Can you speak to some prices for us, Brad? Yeah, that's not true. So, you see, the, what we measure and what the, the system measures is the average price. Mm-hmm. So, let me take you through the situation of an average buyer. Average buyer goes out today to buy something. They go, okay, well, interest rates are now 8 per 6%, so I can only afford a $1.2 million house instead of a $1.8 million house. Mm-hmm. 
So, so when you when you transact that 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 house purchase, you are bringing down the average price by six hundred thousand dollars because you were able to buy one for one point eight million, and now you can spend one point six. So, part of that fall to one point two is real price uh, real price falling. So, you'd have to track each sale individually to really see this, which nobody does. But we do a little bit of this. But I would say that, that a single-family home uh, in Toronto has dropped maybe 8%, and probably 12% of, or 7% of the average price drop is based on people shifting their ability to buy because of interest rates. So they're buying less of a house. Correct. Right. So it's a combination of two things. With condominiums, condominium prices, and, and, and you know, the thing, too, is that you're, you're – you, you got to realize they're not real transactions either because you're looking at a motivated seller, right? Mm-hmm. And you're looking at a garbage buyer. So the buyers that are buying right now are the revenge buyers, right? They're people that, that have been trying to buy for a while. Maybe they have a good down payment. And the only reason why they're buying is because they, they, they want to get a deal. So they, they're sending out multiple offers on multiple properties to try to find someone who's desperate to sell. And they'll find one or two people who are desperate to sell, but not everyone is. And so... So that, too, doesn't really represent a willing buyer and a willing seller, right? You have more of a willing seller, and so it skews the real value. So when the market recovers, it recovers and it bounces quickly. Mm-hmm. It, won't, it won't be a gradual increase. Nope. What you'll have is the, the willing sellers will be gone from the system, and, and they'll just not agree to sell, and that will very quickly get buying because real estate agents drive the deals, right? So as soon as we smell that the market shifted to vendor power, we will control the marketplace in that way. So vendors will control the narrative. That's how it works. So I, I, I think that realistically, uh, condo prices have probably dropped like from, say, March's peak to now, maybe 5%. Hmm. Brad Lamb, Lamb Development, Lamb Realty, a real pleasure, my friend. I want to wish you a safe Christmas, Happy New Year. Good luck with uh, building some more homes for Torontonians. We certainly need the inventory, which is what we've been discussing. Uh, we're going to have a great discussion with the macro tourists coming up after the break. Once again, Brad Lamb, uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Stay tuned. More show coming up right at this. Same to you guys. Thanks. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Two, one, two, three, four. Welcome back. Kevin, you're in the house. I queued that up with you, Kevin. Why? <laughs> well, when I think of you, I think of volatility. Uh, and of course, when I, you know, when I think of um, 
That song, of course, is about peace and tranquility. But uh, it's been a volatile year, bouncy year, and of course, I think many of us are looking for some peace. If you're a homeowner, worrying about mortgages, if you're a stockbroker, again, you know, with the S&P 500 down 15% on the year, the NASDAQ down 25, 26. Fortunately, our clients are down low single digits, you know, two, 3%. So we've gotten through this bear market so far. Uh, Of course, next year is another year, but will there be some peace next year, Kevin? What's your call? Well, my call is uh, calling on your iPhone there. <laughs> no, it's I was a call center. Duck cleaning, man. Someone wants to clean my ducks. I don't want any, Wolfie, I don't any ducks. Wolfie forgot. The, the, the ducks are in my pool. All right, shoot them. Uh, don't uh, clean my ducks. Uh, duck you forgot to service. mention one asset class. Well, if you talk about the NASDAQ, you talk about the TSX. What about the bond market? The bond market's down you know, 20 plus percent this year. And this is one of the very few years on record where you've had stocks and bonds go down together. Correct. That's correct. Good point. That was the 60, 40, the death of the 60, 40. And this is something I've been (laughs) warning about for a while in terms of the resurgence of inflation. So sorry, if I may, Kevin, I don't want to to lose a listener. The 60, 40 that Kevin's referring to is a portfolio, a balanced portfolio, 60% stock, 40% bonds. That's basically been a cornerstone formula uh, benchmark for how you build a portfolio, some bonds and some stocks. And it's been for the last 30 or 40 years. And the beautiful thing about that portfolio was that when your stocks went down, your bonds went up right. because generally the stocks went down in a risk off or kind of the slowdown in the economy. And, and it was kind of balanced each other. And there was lots of fellows out there that actually made fortunes. One of the biggest hedge fund managers in the world was a fellow by the name of, is a fellow by the name of Ray Dalio. And Ray Dalio did it what's called risk parity, where he went and actually um, levered up the bond portfolio with the equities, and it was a great trade. And this year was the worst uh, performance oh. of the 60-40 in, I think it's decades. I saw something that this is the sixth worst performance of the bond market in seven in 700 years or something. Some One of those strategists in on Wall Street had data going back 700 <laughs> years, and they, they decided this was the sixth worst uh, bond performance. I got, I got Monty Python in my head with yeah. the tablets <laughs> coming out. <laughs> oh, we cracked one of those! And, and I think that, <laughs> that kind of... Um, breakdown in terms of the negative correlation, meaning that usually when stocks went down, your bonds went up, they were negatively correlated. This time, this year, the thing that caught a lot of people off guard was that they went together, meaning stocks went down and bonds went down. And this is the biggest problem that investors are facing because we've had this environment of the last 30, 40 years where they've been kind of negatively correlated. And now all of a sudden we have positive correlation and investors are wondering, what do I do in terms of my portfolio? How do I arrange it if this positive correlation between these two asset classes continues? But again, we're looking now into next year. And again, my call is next year, uh, you can actually own bonds, um, if nothing else, for a reasonable yield, i.e. I'm talking 5% GICs, if you want to buy a bond wannabe. Um, but uh, I think that's very compelling to investors today. Well, there, there's a reasonable alternative, and that's what we've been telling clients. So if they want stability in their portfolio, again, you're you talking about real returns, though. What's going to happen with inflation? So Correct. is inflation going to come down to what people expect, or does it you know, continue to rise higher? Well, and the, exa- other, the other quick point I would make, though, is uh, you talk about slowing down the economy. There are significant signs that the economy is slowing down now. The last time the bond market was this challenged, I'm going to say 1994, 1995, the bond market was up. About 25%. Correct. But to Jack's point, 
he's he's noticing how the economy is slowing down and there's a lot of anticipation yep. about that. And if you look at the shape of the yield curve, it is hugely inverted. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult in that, yes, you can go and buy a front-end bond, meaning something at the front of the curve where two you're years. buying one year, two year, yep. or maybe like you know some corporate credit, that's something like that. But in terms of locking in a longer-term interest rate, those bonds have actually run ahead and have assumed that we are going to get the recession that everyone sees coming next year. And one of the big questions and the kind of concerns that I have is, what if that recession doesn't come? Or what huh. if we get uh, a combination of a recession, but inflation stays high? And that bond that everyone is assuming is going to save them by buying 10-year bonds today ends up hurting them again next year. And although I'm not sure that it's going to hurt, near, well, I'm pretty confident it won't hurt anywhere near as much in a nominal term because you're starting from a much higher yield, meaning that when you bought in 2021, at the end of 2021, 10-year yield was one and a half or something. I can't remember what the number is. It's now three and a half. So you've gotten crushed in terms of the yield went up. So therefore, the, the bond price went down. And this time you're starting with a much higher yield. But to Jack's point, you, we might get uh, continued inflation. And so although you're getting 3.5%, you know, you might be experiencing 4 or 5% inflation, so yeah, you're losing look, in a real term. I, I don't know. I, I, I just, we saw the most recent inflation data, and the month-over-month month increase was 0.1%. So if that happens 12 months straight, which let's say it doesn't, let's say it's up 0.3%, you're looking at perhaps inflation getting back down to a three-handle. Oh, and I completely agree. We are probably going down there. And if you go look at what's known as the inflation swap curve, so they're on Wall Street, there's people that trade inflation, and you can actually look at the different settings that are built in. By the, this time next year, they're expecting inflation to be two and a half. And, but your point is, what if that doesn't come in? Look, let's take a quick break. We've got Kevin Muir in the studio, one of the finest uh, friends and brains I have on Bay Street. Uh, he's, he's worked in institutional desks. He's worked in the hedge fund industry. He's an ongoing author, a very good author, uh, very intellectual, uh, lots of jargon, but we're going to bring it back down to the level that you can appreciate it. But, you know, sometimes the world is complicated and we have to have complex discussions to, well, synthesize it. Stay tuned, Hi-Fi Radio 640, Toronto. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Jack is standing up. We got Kevin in the studio. It's like Jack's got the same Mike Steve Trevor had in that uh, video for your side. He's dancing around, Jack. You guys are he's swinging it around. He's, he's start swinging it around. <laughs> don't 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 do a uh, don't do a Roger Daltrey here. We don't have enough room for that move. But uh, certainly standing up at that cool mic that you're standing up at uh, is good. And Jack, well, he's 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 riding uh, uh, headphone less. 
so he doesn't actually hear everything I'm saying to him, but that's okay. Uh, Kevin Muir, macro tourist, author, uh, stock in 2023. Uh, it certainly was a historic year, 2022. Uh, Jack's line to me repeatedly is this is the most highly publicized recession. Highly, I would say highly anticipated recession. Every, every strategist is calling for it. Everyone. So if that's the case, I'm going to say a lot of it's priced in, some of it for sure. Um, how deep will it be? How long will it persist, I guess, is the question. And will we actually have a recession, I would ask Kevin. <laughs> well, to some extent, what does it really matter in, in terms of, because a lot of the problem with the recession now is that we, because we have inflation that's running so hot, if we have a situation where we grow, let's say, 3 4%, but inflation's running 5 that's technically a recession because right. in real terms, that's how they define it. But will it feel as bad if we're still growing at 3 or 4% on a nominal term? And if we think also about the fact that we have this society and this financial system that has too much debt, and we think about what will fix it in the coming years and decades, we one of the ways that we fix it is by continued inflation. And we, in, in essence, have financial repression. But one of the, uh, taking it back to the fact that many people here are trying to figure out what to do with their money and, and how do they think about their portfolios in terms of it's changing, one of the uh, kind of thoughts that I, I keep trying to hammer home to people is that we've assumed that we're going to have continued bull markets and we're going to see stocks go up for, you know, at let's say eight to 12% for the next decade. And if there's anything that everyone believes, it's that stocks in the long run win. But if you go look back to let's say 68 to 82, we had a long period where stocks went nowhere. Mm -hmm. And during that period, we had inflation running high. So in terms of the, on a real basis, investors were losing. Even if we go back to 2000, at the kind of collapse of the dot-com bubble, it wasn't until, what, 2013 that the S&P actually broke out and went above the yeah. level so that it's we... a secular move. So, yeah. okay, so, so again, part of our theses, and it's some so there's a fly, a, a fly in our ointment, but part of our theses coming out of that period, because, again, the S&P 500 did nothing. The 500 largest companies in America did nothing from 2000 to about 2010, 11, 12, call mm -hmm. away. And then it finally broke out, and away it went into what was called a new secular bull market. Secular bull markets tend to run for about 15 years. Uh, we were expecting, hoping it was going to run up until about uh, 2029. Here we are, 2022. Flying the ornament, maybe it stopped. So I'm going to ask you: Do you think the U.S. stock market is still in a secular bull market, or are we in a longer stretch secular bear market? But because we, we could be in a secular bull market, long running, with and, and have a cyclical bear within it. That happened from to uh, uh, 80, 1980 to 2000. There are a lot of cyclical bears, 87 being one of them. And I, I think that your question kind of therein lies what everyone thinks: You're either in a bull market, you're a bear market. Yeah. And I'm much more in the middle. I think it's going to confuse and, and huh. just frustrate a lot of people. It's going to go sideways. There's going to be lots of opportunities. We're going to have periods where it rallies and then everyone gets bullish and then it disappoints. Yeah. And I just see Jack's more. in that camp. I, I see right. more and more of this. Well, side, and, this and, and the thing is, and yeah, you're, it goes back to the 70s. If you have a clearly defined range for the market and you have persistent inflation, in real terms, investors are losing. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not a good environment. It's, it's not a good environment and it's frustrating. 
And that's the real problem is that everyone assumes it's either going to be one or the other. And, and you, yeah. the Bears <laughs> like lose that. because they're all assuming that it's going to be a 2008 or a 2020, oh, yeah. meaning a big collapse. The Bulls lose because they're assuming that we're going to get this nice, steady 20% up. So, so let me ask you, Kevin, interesting time, but I, I appreciate where you're going with this. S&P 500, the 500 largest companies in America right now, that's the index to watch, friends at home. If there's anything to watch, watch the S&P 500. Uh the range on that that we're looking at on the charts and the experts are telling us is on the high end, 4,100. Guess what? That's where we are. Uh, the low end, 3,300 to 3,100. Is that the range in your opinion? I'm not sure what the range is, but I will say this. All the experts are talking about these different ranges in the S&P 500. I think they're looking at the wrong thing. If you're at home, you're sitting there and you're thinking about what to invest in and you're buying the S&P 500, you're likely buying the wrong thing. You should be looking at equal weight indexes. When a pension fund goes and buys the market, they have to buy what's known as a cap-weighted index because the reality is that they're if they tried to buy the lower 500 stocks, they would run out of liquidity. But you as an individual retail investor, you're not constrained by that. You're also not constrained by the fact that when you underperform the index for a year or two, you won't get fired. You won't get fired. <laughs> so so equal, equal weight, that's interesting. So well, explain I, the logic to me, please, Kevin. Let, why, me, let, me, just, let me just jump in there, Well, because the last 10 years was the decade of the large cap FANG stocks. So if you look forward, everyone's thinking that the, like the next this. 10 years is going to be like the previous. It won't. No, it'll it be won't be. No. So that that just adds to Kevin's argument. You want to have a more diversified portfolio. I would argue that mid caps would probably outperform too uh, in an inflationary okay, environment. But yeah, I want the, okay. the, 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 yeah, the equal so weight. So let's start Why? with the equal weight. If you go look at studies, and I, I believe AQR, which is a quant shop, has gone through this and they've looked at equal weight versus market cap weights on all markets throughout the world over time. They outperform. Equal weight outperforms. But there, as you know, Jack mentioned, there are periods where you doesn't. underperform and that career risk is why a lot of professional managers can't do it. Interesting because the nifty 50, Jack, you talk about the nifty 50 a lot as well. The nifty 50 is exactly what happened in 2020, right? 2020 was when the FANG stock, or actually I'll say- A lot of alignments 20, for sure. No, but when the FANG stocks dominated, you had to own those if you wanted to participate. The FANG stocks again were Facebook, Apple, Google, Netflix, um, Microsoft. Uh, and if you weren't in those names, you're, you're underperforming. What Kevin is saying to do, and that's actually what Jack and I always do for the most part, we buy you know one or 2% positions in anywhere from 40 to 60 companies. And so we do equal weight, always have. And I guess that's part of the reasons why we have outperformed this year, because we've equal weighted in, in right. index. And then I say we over, very, overweight, underweight sectors that we think are in favor based on the economic right. cycle. We do and that, that as well, yes. And that's active management. And that's the other thing, that's is that it's been difficult for active management to outperform uh, indexing because of the fact that that Fang mat, which is right. those top six names, were had done so well for so long. But if I think about one trade that is still overweight, it's the fact that too many institutional investors own too many of those stocks. I know everyone keeps going back and tries to buy Facebook, tries to buy Apple, tries to buy these things because they're down. I think they're going to continue to bleed. And the the if there's one message that I would like to tell you is that, yes, those are fine for trade, but do not buy them for the long run. I think that they're going to be dead money and, in fact, hurt you in the continuing years. Very interesting stuff. My friends, we're unfortunately, I'm very sad to say, Jack and Kevin, we're out of time. Uh, boy. I ever learn a lot. Always do uh, when you hang with the right people because birds of a feather, well, I guess they flock together. Uh, be safe. Enjoy the staff Christmas party. Be good. You can still have some fun. Just, you know, controlled, right? Uh, love you. 
Thanks for spending the hour with us. Next Saturday, of course, same bad time, same bad channel. 640 Toronto, and the show is Hi-Fi Radio. Have a good one. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.